They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another fun-filled episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa, a show where I get to talk to awesome people about awesome stuff on the internet. Before I get into my very special guests for our very special topic, you guys are going to be very excited about this one, I'd like to give a shout-out to my $15 or more a month patrons. You are Aaron Moriarty, Andrew Krause, Seth Comfort, collaborating online, Seth Decker, Shore Hansen, Gusted, Robert V. Aldrich, Mike the Gatherer, Kevin C.V., Alex Peregrine, Alex Shaw, Geeks with Shields, Green Goblin, Patricia Chip. Brendan Agnew and Christopher Finnick and to my newest patron Jeremy Soltis one of my very best friends I met him from back starting in my blockbuster days and it's awesome to have him on board Um, Jeremy I don't need your money uh, to remind me that you're my friend but thank you so much dude Um, so today I have Alex and Sharon Shaw from the School of Movies podcast I've been on their show many a time and it's wonderful to finally uh, turn the tables. But we also have a very special reason we're all getting together because this is the very first in a special series of interviews where we're unveiling a very special project that we've been working on. Um, these interviews are going to help you get to better know the folks involved so far in the Alliance. And like I said, Alex and Sharon Shaw from School of Movies are here. Um, they're part of School of Movies in the New Century Multiverse, and they're just awesome people. Um, as I said, I've been a guest on Alex's shows, and Alex and Sharon's show, and I've done some voice work um, for Alex's uh, audiobooks as well. The nag shook his head up toward a man who had been fishing on a nearby pier, but was now gawping at the two of us. It's a citadel. The nag snorted quietly this time, hiding his wings from the man, though they had clearly been seen. Perhaps that fellow can tell you. The horse eyed the sky behind us, spotting thundercloud drawing ever nearer and now descending. We've very little time. He coughed. Hey there! I shouted across at the fisherman. What's this place? Did you just fly in on that there horse? The man yelled back. <laughs> the nag spluttered again. And it talks. What's your name, sir? I'm Ned. Old Ned? I exclaimed. It didn't sound like him. Nah, just Ned. He replied, somewhat affronted. Ned, we're in kind of a hurry. What is this place? I pointed at the Colossus we stood in the shadow of. Ain't nobody goes in there. It's hainted. Then why are you fishing beside it? Because this has been my favorite spot for years. And it's still just as good even with a hinted castle bearing down on it. So it's not been there long. Who built it? Never saw nobody build it. One night it weren't there, the next morning it was. But nobody who travels too deep inside ever comes back out. I see. Well, goodbye, Ned. It's been nice briefly knowing you. You going in then? He inquired. I glanced back at the zeppelin as it neared the ground. Looks like I don't have much of a choice with them on my tail. Listen, Ned, don't run. Carry on fishing. Just tell them what they need to know. I'll be alright. You're a strange gal. He commented. Mighty brave. Mighty afraid. 
I felt a goose walk over my grave as he resumed his fishing, and I turned back to the nag. You know, Alex and I were talking, and uh, we have a whole lot of groups of people that are like-minded that we connect with through our mutual shows that we do. And it's like, you know what? These communities are all separate, and they're all kind of interwoven, and we've got people that spill over. But what's a way to connect all of them without all of us having to do a crazy amount of extra legwork and networking that you kind of just already do by creating a podcast. So what do we do? And Alex and I were talking and it's like, well, what about a content creator network? Um, you know, and I wrote down here, uh, you know, it went off like a light through the fog in a 1980s Amblin film because, <laughs> you know, I was on for the, the Spielberg season or the Spielberg episodes for school with movies. And after a long chain of hilarious, silly and introspective conversations and ideas, which for anyone to have been a fly on the wall over us coming up with the name for this thing, that was just <laughs> a blast to try to figure out. Um, we came up with the Fireside Alliance. So this is the first time we've introduced that word into the world. Um, you know, what, what's the idea of this? It's an independent media network and a progressive community of progressive communities, as we've dubbed it. Um, but why? Why that name? Well, the fireside part focuses on telling stories, cultivating our ability to actively read, explore, deconstruct, and be nourished by them. Stories are what bring us together, and they have done so since we sat around the, the very first fires that man made, right? We want to encourage going beyond simple consumption of content and focus on curiosity and exchanging comments and readings as we collectively examine our movies, TV, video games, books, and comics. The fire is also symbolically protective warming us and keeping predators at bay. We have zero interest in starting fights, feuds, or drama. We are 100% for being passionate and enthusiastic about the things you love, but not aggressive obsession. And that's where the alliance part comes in. We have deliberately sought out and selected artists and producers whose communities are progressive and accepting. The world and its internet can be a hostile place, more so for some than others. We especially want people who often find themselves isolated because of who they are to feel safe and welcome here, to wake up every morning wondering how your friends around the globe are doing. And with that, Alex, what else you got? Tell people more. So this is a very special announcement for School of Movies and the New Century Multiverse. We have decided to develop an independent media network. If you've been with the show since Digital Gonzo, circa 2011, you'll remember Gonzo Planet, which was a showcase for different writers creating articles based around video gaming and movies. That ran for several years, and we even had a few conventions in the UK where we gathered together in real life, remember when that happened, with our listeners and raised money for Extra Life, which at the time, still going, uh, helps kids with accessibility issues to play video games. And I miss that. I miss the sense of building something together with other like-minded folks. And I miss the idea of, of the, the community growing, uh, which, which it, it was at the time. And we, we've, we've kind of sort of settled into a comfortable niche since then. And I just, I started getting the itch in 2020. And, you know, cause there was bloody nothing else to do while we were on lockdown. So, um, we spent, 2020 doing a season of Steven Spielberg episodes uh, and begun with and frequently guesting Chris Chipman. Hello, Chris. Thank you so much. Hi, it was a blast doing those. And I still on a day to day basis, I'm still honored that, you know, you want to keep creating and doing things with me because I am. Um, I'm just so in awe of the work you both do. So thank you so much. 
That's incredibly kind of you. I think people will look back on 2020 and they will go, that was the year of the School of Movies Spielberg season. That that's I can't I can't remember anything else that happened in 2020. Um and a because it's important that we our scars in our brain heal over and at least sort of just go all white and uh, uh does the scars heal? They just fade. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so a while back, Chris and I got talking about cross-promotional stuff to alert our separate communities to the stuff that we're putting out. I, I think it, it's originally started when you were like, hey, could I like do like a little promo for your show and you do one for mine? And I was like, huh. why, why stop there? Why not create a community of communities? The School of Movies Discord which has been around for several years now, has been a haven for a hell of a lot of listeners, especially across 2020. We pride ourselves on being inclusive and unlike the doom-scrolling chaos of the most popular social media sites, we like to moderate as we go and everyone is responsible for what they say. So that's a potted version of what we want to do now. So, I mean, effectively the Discord that we run is not dissimilar to the uh, um, Gonzo Planet uh, forum we used to have back when Gonzo Planet was a thing for Digital Gonzo. And what we hatched with Chris, well, what I hatched with Chris, it was, uh, Sharon was uh, in support, but this was very much Chris and my baby. Something we're calling Fireside Alliance. And the centerpiece of this will be a Discord server shared by the communities of School of Movies and the New Century Multiverse and of Chris Chipman's productions and of the rest of the podcasts that we are beginning this endeavor with. And those podcasts are Two Shrinks Pod, Geeks with Shields, Montresor Media, Cinema Spection, Recorded Tomorrow, Leftover Army Monsters, Through the Wind Door. These are the first ones that we've gathered together with room for more in the future. And our website is firesidealliance.com and going there will get you access to the discord alongside a full selection of each of these shows here's a bunch <laughs> of podcasts you almost certainly will enjoy listening to the fireside bit describes the place of safety where we have all gathered together to be told stories since the concept first began and now in the 21st century our billions of glowing screens are windows to that shared fireside in our movies and our tv and our games and our books and our comics and not just watching playing and reading not just consuming but what we are taking away from them how they help us understand ourselves and each other better that's what we've always been about with school of movies and we've kind of sought out other podcasts that, that seem to be in line with that as well and the Alliance part, which we're, we very specifically launched emblazoned with the 2018 Pride flag, the redesign by Daniel Quasar, is that, who, by the way, um, we, we via our friend Jesse Ferguson, we showed this concept to Daniel himself. And he was like, hey, gave us the thumbs up and uh, permission and, and uh, his blessing. So that was pretty huge. Uh, it's a statement of this being a place that you can come to every day right now the world is a minefield combined with a shit show if you fall into intersectional circles so every new partner community to fireside alliance is going to be one that like us embraces that inclusivity 
If you've had to factor in frequent hostility to your daily life, online or off, especially over things you couldn't change about yourself, even if you wanted to, we want you to be able to rely on at least one place that feels like a haven. For years, women have felt excluded from geek spaces. For years, people of color have felt excluded from geek spaces. For years, folks who were queer have felt excluded from geek spaces. And absurdly, considering how neuroatypicals might feel inclined to gravitate even harder towards niche interests, they too have often felt excluded from geek spaces or, or simply that they don't communicate in a way that feels like they can be part of something like that. And we've wanted to lay down the foundations for a place where everyone feels welcome just as they are. And this is not new to us. We've been operating the School of Movies community like this for years. And what has made Sharon and I genuinely proud is how our listeners frequently express how much they appreciate the energy that is upheld. And I'm like, that's not even us. That's you folks. We just kind of like we, we nudge in the right direction. It's it's you who actually managed to keep this going. And you like watching you support each other every day. It's uh, well, it's quite touching. And it seems especially now that this is something that people, again, online and off, need. So why not expand and collaborate and intermingle with other like-minded communities? And if you're listening to this and you're white, cis, male, and as straight as they come, you are also absolutely welcome. The only folks who will find themselves fairly swiftly sent out are the dicks who start fights. We love and will actively encourage being passionate and enthusiastic, but not aggressive and obsessive. There's a definite difference, I think, and it's why our listenership remains great people pretty much across the board. Like, I, I can barely remember the, the few who've been like, this place is bullshit, I'm out of here. I'm gonna get my own Discord with blackjack and hookers. Also, side note, <laughs> we, we didn't, we did not, it might seem unlikely, but we did not time this to launch with the beginning of Pride Month. But that's how it shook out. So yay for starting as we mean to go on. So <clears throat> the link to the new website and thus the Discord is in the show notes. Come along and say hi. Make some new friends among people you otherwise might never have crossed paths with. And find some new podcasts to fill your ears with. I hear it's quite good when you're on lockdown again, because everything's collapsed again. We have movie chat, geek ephemera, media analysis, psychology chat, time travel, giant monsters, at least one expanding series of interconnected sci-fi audio dramas, and a podcast dedicated to deconstructing them. So that's the announcement. On with the rest of the show. Oh, man. I have a great big smile on my face. I was thinking back to when I first put a Discord together, and I didn't know thing two about it other than everybody said I needed one. <laughs> and um, uh, much of my fan base, you know, there, there's, there's a, a crossover, a carryover, right? We, like you said, we find like-minded people, right? <laughs> they're, they're out there. They're looking for people that have that same approach that have that same curation and love and respect for the people that listen to them and for the content they speak about. And all I ever heard in those original rumblings on discord was, you know, from people like Chris Finnick and people like um, Kevin Vay and, you know, people like talking about how much I reminded them of you guys. And that made me really happy. Cause it's like, you know, 
It's a pretty it, good it fit. Shows, well, and it, it shows, you know, thinking back on that from two or three years ago, it kind of shows that even though this came as sort of like a random, like we had a conversation and it just exploded. This is almost the natural progression of things, right? Mm. You know, mm. if, if the, if the entirety of the internet is going to keep cultivating gatekeeping and negative obsession, why can't there be an antithesis to that? And mm. it's gonna, it's unfortunately going to have to happen like a, a, a guerrilla revolution like this, you know, little tiny, you know, fan created things within it that we can start connecting together. You know, mm. we're not going to have the, uh, the school of movies and Chris Chipman productions, Twitter, you know, but we can use these systems against them. And I think that's a, a wonderful thing. I love uh, the, what we both said about not wanting to start fights. Like I, I just, uh, it, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of at a, I wouldn't exactly say avoidant, but like when aggression or conflict starts up, I'm like, my natural instinct is to go, right, I'm just going to kind of back away from this. Either, yep. like if it's between, if it's other people, I'm able to sort of step in and go, okay, guys, could you, you in your corner, you in your corner, um, cool down. But um, if it's, if I, I don't at all um, thrive on, on, on proving myself right, for example, like I'm, right. I'm, I don't feel good if I'm like, I'm right, you're wrong. Now, piss off. <laughs> I think people um, uh, incorrectly mistake enthusiasm and aggression for the same thing. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, well, it's, it's, it's a big seller, the, uh, um, the like performatively angry side, especially of YouTube, because you can see people's faces while they're screaming and grabbing at a joypad. Um, but I, I've always <laughs> like we we started uh, way back when we started Digital Gonzo, which is like my second podcast. And it was the first time I was striking out alone. Uh, we did the Star Wars prequels, and that was during the heyday of um, Red Letter Media's uh, uh, Mr. Plinkett. Or what's wrong with your face? That kind of um, uh, like you know, how come they land on this this side of the planet and then go round to the other side of the planet? It seems like an <laughs> awful waste of energy to me. And it's like, yeah, absolutely right. And and it was it was it was taking a huge amount of time to go into all of the reasons these films didn't work. And it's it's it was fun then, but it's so obvious now how that has fed into everything being run through that that process and not everything is as broken as as the star wars prequels and plenty of people especially young people like those movies yes i, I said this about those things specifically i said this to someone the other day you know you can you can be critical of something and and be critical of it from your standpoint but acknowledge the fact that hey it's part of something you love and the thing you love has been around for now four generations or four decades of people, right? So you got to give the people that came to it when they were 12 their their place in the sun to say this is all they know. And the mm. thing that you love about it might be broken to them. And you got to be able to accept both types. Yeah. And having uh, – uh, well, I think I accepted around about uh, Christmas time in 2019. Remember? That was a million years ago uh, after The wow. Rise of Skywalker came out and um, disappointed the hell out of me. I was like, right, I, I think I'm going to have to accept that about half the Star Wars is is I love it and half the Star Wars is pfft, don't like it much at all. And that's just going to be it from now on. Like I can't expect it to always be for me. Like I love right. the Force Awakens, and the so did I. yeah, the idea that 
that everything that then comes out has to sort of fit in with that particular energy. So what I'm let me just cycle back to what I was talking about with the prequels. The, I worked out immediately after those first three weeks. I feel so much better talking about things that I love. And then we did the original Star Wars trilogy. Then we moved on to Back to the Future. Then we went on to Die Hard and we did the Toy Story films. And and it was like we were getting so much out of uh, getting – I was I, at the time I was not uh, – Sharon was not yet my uh, co-host. I don't know why it took so long to, to get you on to work out that you would be great because you were when you guested. But um, – like we've thrived on on loving movies much more than hating on them, but I know uh, a bunch of people on on Twitter who are like, if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all regarding movies, and it's like that's not really me either. Sometimes a bad movie can be really fun to tear to shreds, or it can actually be wrongheaded and kind of harmful, and it feels like a righteous indignation takedown. Um, so. I reserve sometimes to be able to go off on a rant-fueled, hopefully amusing uh, uh, reg. I do remember when we did um, Pet Cemetery, that, mm. but the, the <laughs> remake recently, that one ended up quite bitter because I think at the time we were doing, a, uh, we were in a Stephen King naissance number two, and um, like he, he, there was lots of really great films connected with him coming out. So you got It, and you got uh, Doctor Sleep, and uh, the Stranger Things crowd obviously very much inspired by that. And then Pet Cemetery comes along stinking up the place, being just as bad as the original TV movie, and just as bad as the original book, and actually weirdly philosophically antithetical to the way that Stephen King writes normally. And it's, it's, it's weirdly like uh, fatalistic, nihilistic, and hopeless. And like at the same time, I was sort of a get finally getting after a lifetime of never really getting it, an appreciation for ah, perfect for the shining. Um, and it was actually principally down to your brother Bob's uh, review of it, which actually made me go, Jesus Christ. Oh yeah. Is that I, I mentioned this to you when you were on our show. I said that he said that is a movie that is afraid of itself. And I was like, mind. That's blood. it. And, um, yeah, so I, I don't like our Pet Cemetery uh, show. And I think I might actually go back and re-edit it just to take a little bit of the vitriol out, a little bit of the, the, the repetition. But like our best shows are shows where we are in awe of the film, not just kissing its ass. Like our arrival show is something I would heartily recommend to all oh, yeah. 600 people who've ever seen Arrival. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, like when, when we find something profound, it just, it opens itself up and it becomes something to really get our teeth into. And, and that's really been the thing that's fueled us as we've gone, gone through over the years. So, so I just, I, I love the idea of encouraging that in other podcasts. And I kind of want to like with fireside, like, as we go on, like, and slowly mature, kind of bring in the younger podcasts if yes. they want to come and hang out with the Grampies and Generation X. <laughs> and, um, like, as Gen X sort of gets older, I, uh, yeah, if, if any, like, Millennials and Gen Z uh, movie analysis is sort of following in that same kind of, like, real deep tissue um, direction as opposed to simply nitpicking or, or listing reasons why it's oh it's got plot holes you could drive a truck through uh then like each one of those would feel like a win 
So right. and like moving in the right direction and a, a counterculture to the everything is lame and giving a damn about anything is uh, is for losers. Well, I'd like to say, you know, too, you hit on some really good things in there, starting from the, the, the gonzo stuff up till now. You said your approach to it mm-hmm. and that because I, I don't do a ton of, of liner notes with what I do because I, I try to do things off the cuff and get a, you know, general like like right at that moment reaction out of people. Right. And so coming on your show with the, the analysis and everything, it's like that can go a couple ways, right? Like some people mm-hmm. can take that too far. Like you just noted, right. And, and have too little space for people to improvise and have general enthusiasm. And you, mm-hmm. you guys are the opposite of that. Like you, I, I like to think of um, particularly Indiana Jones and the temple of doom and kingdom of the crystal skull preparation for both those episodes. You were mm-hmm. like, look, this can easily turn into just a, a list of people saying things that they hate about this. And this is not what I want. You know, I want to be in the right headspace. I remember like preparation, like, you know, we just had a rough night. Yeah. Um, things are going hard over here. We're not going to be in the right headspace to give this movie the enthusiasm it deserves for the things that are good about it. And I love working with someone that takes that type of approach. It's not just about, like it's you know tuesday at three in the afternoon or friday at noon you could have a completely different approach to how Mm. you talk about it and i think people that want everything to be black and white and only be well i just want to know if it's a 90 or a 20 (laughs) you know i want to know the rotten tomatoes score and it's like that's Mm. not what we're about we're about hey i'm gonna tell you what how, how it makes me feel yeah it's not binary we search for the nuance yeah and if you get enthusiastic about that and can go, or, you know, it might, it might make people reevaluate and go, Oh wait, you know what? I never thought of kingdom of the crystal skull that way. I didn't realize that if I edited seven minutes out of a chase sequence, it would be one of the <laughs> best action sequences in all of Indiana Jones, <laughs> you know, and, 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 I, and I love that nuts. approach. It was good. <laughs> well, again, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm being enthusiastic. Worker. I'm being enthusiastic, but, but no, but seriously, it, it felt like, it felt like it was a completely different scene. It wasn't, it wasn't like, a, oh, that's a little better. You know, it was like, wow, was this filmed by different people? And, and it was all in editing, right? It was, that movie had some lazy editing. And that was kind of a bummer because that's not usually what they're known for. It felt like a vacation film. So it's like, uh, they were just sort of kicking back, having fun with it. Every, everything felt warm. There was very little kind of like, I'm a young, hungry filmmaker. I got to make this great. So uh, I'm, I, I, what I liked, I think, uh, from that was uh, the personal touches. Um, right. Kevin talking about why he cared so much about it on, on, on uh, Crystal. Like, because after years and years of everyone saying that Crystal Skull either didn't exist, much like those two Matrix sequels that apparently didn't exist for all those years, until this year when everyone's going to be like, oh, you know what? Those are actually pretty good. Um <laughs> Honestly, I, I I don't know about whether they'll be pretty good, but philosophically speaking, we're going to recover them. I'm sure we can get something specifically out of the second film. Third one's going to be a bit tougher, but uh, but yeah, I would um, agree. I'm excited to hear that because uh, I um I feel like the the exact thing we're talking about, the exact change in how we have learned to approach movies. You said from like that red letter media days. I think that viewpoint change will be kinder to the mm. matrix sequels. I'm not going to say that 
me rewatching them today will I'll think that they're good because I really didn't like them when I saw them the first time. But I think there's a lot to be found in there that we may not have been paying attention to mm. at the time. Yeah, um, we will we'll save our personal observations, uh, uh, Sharon and I, for um, when we cover them. But I will say that Curio have just done the Matrix sequels are good. Uh, featuring Sarah Zedig and I will uh point people in that direction. It's an hour it's nearly 2 hours long this this wow this thing. So like uh, that, that's a serious sit down appointment viewing scenario. I haven't been able to haven't had time to watch it yet, but uh I'm just sort of gearing my head up for that kind of thing. But yeah, it, what it feeds into is that when you get a whipping boy like uh Crystal Skull like uh, uh Matrix 3 um it's it's easy to join the the hate train and just spank the shit out of it. And it's hard to find good things, especially if it if it appears that the film is at odds with everything that seems to have come before. Um, we like to try to find those things. But again, like the 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 whole like I'm I think ultimately that the, the the most entertaining and the most informative routes and the most honest are, are, are you know, usually our best policy because like we we do um, commission shows where people right. actually uh, uh, pay us to, uh, to to dig into a film. And we always, like our rule is, we are not just going to say we like this just because the person who paid us to say, uh, to, to talk about it, likes it. Like when we... we they're not paying for the positive review. They're paying to hear your analysis. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there have been one or two where I was just like, I cannot engage with this. And by and large, what I tend to do is, is go back to the person uh, paying for it and say, look, could you find something else for us to go for? Because I feel like this is not going to get you the value for money that you deserve. And um, like very few, if any, that we've ever put out. Uh, I felt that really was not worth that person paying uh, us for it. But uh, I think in that one case, the one that I'm thinking of, I was like, are you really sure you want us to talk? And they went, yep, no one else has talked about this thing. I want to hear you say, okay, we'll talk about it. <laughs> so, um, I, I think I know which one you're thinking of, and we did it, and they actually really liked it, did didn't they? they? Okay, then. Yeah. Well, all right, then. That's. I hope that's the one. Sharon, by the way, move in, because, like, Yes, hi, just, Sharon. Hello. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's quite all right. Alex is the one with all the notes. <laughs> well, so, yeah. again, it's, it's so great to have you both around. Sorry, Alex. Go ahead. Uh, no, no. I, I was like, you, you steer the conversation. You're the... You're the uh, well, I was host. just going to say, I, I want since you brought it up and it sparked, before I get into, you know, I, I'd like to get, you know, I don't think I've ever heard a show. And how often do you go on your own show and, you know tell all about yourself right it's and and my show i like being able to get these people that have you know been doing this for 20 years and doing it for a week and you know give them the time in the sun to just kind of chat to somebody about why they do what they do you know and what got them there I, I find that really interesting right um but before that i wanted to hit on one more thing that you sparked just a reminder Talking about, you know, the preparation for episodes where the conversation could get a little more negative. The other thing I really like is you, you find the thing that everybody's already done and just say, we're going to leave that off the table. Why beat that horse? And mm -hmm. I really liked that about Poltergeist. You were like, you know what? Let's not do the Spielberg actually directed this movie thing at all. 
And let's and uh, like, just hop, and, skip, and jump through the, ooh, the poltergeist movies were cursed. Right. Like, actually, that's kind of disrespectful to a lot of people who died. So Exactly. Uh, and so it's like that opens up because most people expect that. Yeah. So, you know, it's so much better. to, And, and I found that episode to be so fruitful because mm-hmm. we went and talked about stuff that people haven't really been talking about with them. Yeah, and and I thought that episode. was great. It was a really good episode. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so, so getting into that, you know, Alex and Sharon, I, I want to get to know more about, about you guys because, you know, I've had the honor of being on your show and we've never met, even though I want to fix that as soon as possible. You okay. know, it's funny. It's funny that the, uh, the first time I ever went to England, realizing that it's quicker to fly there than it is to fly to California for me. Oh, seriously? Oh, yeah, actually, it's about eight hours, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Hilarious. Rest stops in the middle of the Atlantic, of course. But uh, well, unless you're on the so Titanic. that was that was the unnerving part for me about about my flight. Is I'm like, wow, it's so wonderful that they have this map of where I am right now on the screen. <laughs> me. All I can um, see is blue. <laughs> all I can see is blue, and they actually have it marked where the Titanic sank. That makes hey! me feel. Oh, Jesus! Uh, <laughs> but you're yeah. fine. You're in a plane. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah, icebergs yeah. up I'm, here. <laughs> so so i'm panicking because it was one of the first times i ever flew on my own mm-hmm. and i'm and i'm flying to england for work and i'm panicking about you know the titanic thing and i'm like i'm gonna get up and take a walk so i walk to the back of the plane and there's a flight attendant with a little tablet open and i go and use the bathroom and come out and realize on the tablet she's got an emergency evacuation plan thing up yikes I and I was going to say she was stood up on the back railings of the plane about to jump off. And you were like, oh, <laughs> and then, and then the water was really cold down there, man. And hands out and told her to close her eyes. It was, it was all a thing. I had to explain it to my wife. It was terrible. Uh, no, but, but, um, you didn't ask them no. so if you could go and sit in the cockpit and shout, I'm the king of the world. <laughs> oh, oh side note, by the way, we're, we're doing our Cameron season later this year, and we will finally cover Avatar, that movie that everyone's talking about, and Titanic. And uh, we've, we've, you mean we've Avatar, got... the, movie, the movie that nobody remembers? <laughs> and we, well, uh, that we won't, again, we won't be bothering with that angle of, ah, no one knows about this. I actually, I actually love Avatar. I'm just tired of everyone groaning around me whenever I mention it. <laughs> <laughs> How could, like, it, it's the Celine Dion of uh, movies. Like, it, uh, yeah, so sold a jillion albums and apparently nobody likes it. <laughs> it's so, again, it, it's all that same aggressive approach that that we talked about before. Well, everyone else loves it, so now I can't. I'm talking, <laughs> to, you, I'm talking to you Marvel fans. See, here's the thing. It's easy for me to ignore all of that because I have never been cool. So being cool is like the thing I'm least interested in. <laughs> and this is what I tell people. I go, you know, are there really... Is just like a few years really separate me from the people that don't remember a world where we didn't get movies like this? Like, I try to remind people with Star Wars, like, it used to be that there were three of them, mm. and that's it. And you're complaining that there's six more, seven, <laughs> eight more. Do you know what I mean? Like, come on. Um, but it's the same thing with the Marvel stuff. It's like, I remember going to see Spider Man opening day, the Sam Raimi one. And going like this is really the first time we've had one of these, probably since Christopher Reeve was Superman. You know, there were little pockets of great superhero movies, but to have one like that that just had that positive, bright reaction from people, it had been a long time. You right? mean one that didn't have Batman in it? 
Right, one that didn't have Batman or characters trying to be Batman. That that's yes. exactly one that David Goya had gone nowhere near. Yay! <laughs> and, and and you know that that was quite. I mean, right? We didn't have the Dark Knight trilogy even oh, yet, yeah, right? Yeah. The the Maybe thing that you know. Oh, you mean superhero movies like 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 the Dark Knight? No, 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 no. Like like I mean, I, it's a good movie, guys. But <laughs> there's more to do than Batman. But um. <laughs> Wait, wait, you were on a plane. You, you were on a plane, and then there so was, I was a, 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 so, so I go yeah. back to my seat, and I went, you know what? I can't. I can't sit down for another two hours and not know. So I went and asked this nice lady. I go, not to bother you, but is there something wrong? And she went, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, this is my first flight. I'm taking a test. Oh, right, right. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> and aren't you glad you asked? <laughs> and then of course the sun starts coming up at three in the morning you know because it, to me it's three in the morning and um i see the sunrise over ireland and realize that ireland actually is a fantasy land and then i landed in england and everything was wonderful and i digress so um being that that was my only time i've ever been you know where, where you wonderful people are from i wanted to find out more about you guys so where are you both from exactly this is the one this is the where were you born you, you sent me a list of these questions this is the only one with a one word answer <laughs> i'm not sure what else i can say sorry and, and give me geographically where that is um little whinging uh in uh the harry potter uh movies where um it, it, <sighs> privet drive yeah if you if you look at a map of the uk um, yep. The only thing you'll be able to see is London because it's the only thing big enough for them to actually mark it. Yeah. Um, and Surrey is sort of slightly south of London. South? Yeah. No, that works for me because I, I've, I have, I flew into Manchester. Mm -hmm. We drove up to the border of Scotland, and then okay. we took a train down to London. Oh, so okay, so you took the Robin Hood route. Yes, yeah. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen things, and I have an idea of where things are on a map, mm -hmm. but. I just like to, I, I like to get an idea, right? Cause you know, the United States, you can go, I'm from Boston and that could be 80 miles from Boston. Right. Yeah. So I like to give people a better idea. I'm from the North shore of Massachusetts, which is about 20, 30 miles North of Boston. And it's very different from what you'd expect from Boston. I live near Salem. I live near where they killed all the witches, which was actually Danvers because Danvers and Salem were the same city. It gets complicated. Actually, I'm from yeah. just outside of Dublin, but I got tired of saying I was from just outside of Dublin, so now I'm <laughs> from Dublin. <laughs> Anywho, um, what about you, Sharon? Did you did you two magically grow up like two doors down from each other? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, apart. not at all. Um, I, <laughs> see, this is the thing. I always have this slight pause whenever anybody asks me where I'm from, because where I'm from is the Air Force. Mm. Um, I got I was, Look, we are in a, a <laughs> weird way somehow connected by aeroplanes i grew up 28 minutes from gatwick airport where my father worked so uh like he was in uh, commercial flights and her dad was my in, dad was in military. military aircraft oh um, see that's fascinating yeah uh and um so i was born in an raf hospital in cambridgeshire which is sort of it's east midlands is probably the the best place to put it it's it from london you go north a bit and it's on the east coast um and then lived in many 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 different places moved around an awful lot um, when brat. i was a kid yeah definitely military brat that's me hmm. 
Well, that's because that's fascinating. It reminds me, my, my friend Laura, who I went to, I was a resident advisor, which is, I, I don't, in, in university over your way, do they, like a person that oversees the dorm, right? Um, uh, no, not really. Oh, no. Yeah, so we we yeah, had own devices. Oh, yeah. we had students who were in charge of the floor that a bunch of kids lived on. Was basically the idea, and I was one of those people. You you were basically like a police officer without authority. So you were like the you were like the um oh, the neighborhood watch association. Yeah, <laughs> we we did have we did have at our at my university we had hostel reps. There you so, go. Um, yeah. Same same sort of thing, but they didn't have any authority. They were basically just there to make sure everybody had labeled their food properly. Right. Now we we had to do we had to do crisis mitigation and um, you know, getting on the line and getting people over to you know for for uh, you know um, crisis kits, like get them to the hospital if they thought they had been abused. It was, it was we had to do a lot. Um, responding responding to drug overdoses. It was it was a lot of things, um, but. The, the story in the positive light is my friend Laura, um, she was going to grad school for nursing and was one of the other resident advisors. And a few years after college, we all got together for like a, you know, hangout at her house. And we were going through a photo album and I saw these photos of this beautiful island. I'm like, where is that? And she goes, well, I, I was an Air Force brat. I was a military brat. And that's the um, Aleutians, I believe, off of Alaska. Mm-hmm. I think is where it is. There's a military base on a couple of those islands because mm-hmm. they were that. So they could, you know, watch Russia out of Sarah Palin's, you know, house, as right. she said. <laughs> That's what they were there for. And so the island was literally the size of a landing strip, a few houses of the people that lived there. And then there was one road around the island. And this, she spent the first 12 years of her life here and knew nothing 12 else. 12 years? Yeah. I, oh, my God. By the time I was seven, I'd just be running, running round it in circles, screaming. I was so desperate it to move. It blew my mind. It blew my mind. And it's like, it's so, so to hear, you know, a story of someone that moved around like that, it's like, yeah, she, she, so she moved around a bunch after the 12 years. Oh, good. For, good. like, high school and everything. She'd want to see it, some but, of the world at that point and go, what's that? It's a post office. Oh, thank God. Well, you know, most people have the, you know, military kid stories of I got to see all these places. She's like, no, I saw this island. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it happens. Sometimes people get in one place for a while. I I kind of did the other way around. I moved a, around an awful lot before I was about nine, and then um, we stayed in one place for about eight nine years, and then I went away to uni. So now we know kind of Sharon was everywhere. Alex was basically in Harry Potter land. Well, I mean, it's, uh, when I say summer, it's a very sort of posh place where, um, uh, like, it's it's it, it is just near to London. And it's it's kind of sort of middle class sort of area. If you work in London but you'd rather live in a leafy mm. suburb, you yeah. go to Surrey. So then, when I moved up uh, to the Midlands and is York the north? It's uh, past the Watford York's, Gap, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. York's north. York. I met Sharon in in college when I went to uh, uh, Ripon and York St John to study media, um, and she was just finishing as I was just starting. Yeah, I went to university at a place called Bretton Hall College which is in Wakefield yeah. which is not terribly far from York and uh, by the time Our I was first and last up, years intersected yeah I was wrapping up my third year Alex was um, starting his first mm. and we both got jobs in York kind of dress yeah. up for the tourist type jobs yep because York's that kind of place. It's it's old and um, very touristy. Yeah, it's like it's it's uh, it's got Roman it's the architecture of the still there. So <laughs> that yeah. blew my mind. I went to a town in Cheshire, so that's up yeah, that's near not... Manchester. Yeah, 
That's the other and, side of the pepper. Yeah. yeah, and it was a walled city, but mm. you know, it was all like yes. you know they. But it was definitely a tourist town, right? You know, all the pubs looked like the pubs in the world's end. And, um, you know, but there was a building that was an old Roman church. And I read and I said, does that, is that three numbers with AD after it? Three numbers. Like in in the United States, if you can find something from like 15 something, you're doing great. You know what I mean? Yeah. In York, there were 365 pubs, like one for every day of the year. And I just thought, is that like, do they have to maintain that all the time? Do, do pubs ever close? <laughs> if any of them close, do they have to open another one? And uh, if, is it illegal to have a 366th pub? <laughs> like, if you open that pub in York, you, you're basically the 30th guy to run at John Wick with a knife. At that point, you're like, I'm sure this is a good business plan. <laughs> I know, like, how do you get to 365, right? It's like, you know, that's... <laughs> well, maybe I mean, that's like... like 317, and then they were like, you know what would make this, like, a nice round number? Mm. Some of them are very small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? We we have a, a very um, lacking in small pubs. The small mm-hmm. pubs have gone the way of the dodo, and it's all you know, places that want you to think they're small pubs, but you go inside and they're giant, right? You know, the person that bought the Irish pub in a kit box, you know, and, and he named it like John, John O'Flannan McDougal's and it's run, you know, by, it's like, okay, come on guys. Like this, but, uh, you know, I, I found that interesting to find out at least where I was in the UK, that even though there were a bunch of small pubs and they had a unique look that a lot of that had been franchised. But they, but it was like Ace Hardware over here. Where it's like this is Frank's Ace Hardware because right. it was Frank's Hardware before, you know. And I'm like, all right, that's kind of interesting that the world is, you know, still doing the same things everywhere, even if it doesn't seem like it is. Mm. I don't know. Just, just a funny aside. Um, I know nothing about pubs apart from what I just told you. <laughs> it's right. just, I, I just, I found the pubs. Forte. I found the pubs way more interesting in the UK. Mm. Is is what I'd basically say. I, I. It's way more my speed and type of place than the ones we have around here, which are, you know, place for um, someone with people with fake IDs to go to get plastered is basically I, what I, we I'm have. I'm always on the lookout for a really, like, a really nice pub that, like, has a fire burning in a stone grate. Right. And it's, like, it's got an old feel to it. And it's a little bit, like, higgledy-piggledy on the flooring because it's, like, the original flooring. And it's sat on a site that's been there for a thousand years. And there's, like, a fox above the fire. But it's, right. like, not a real fox because they don't, like cruelty to animals and there's <laughs> brasses on the wall from horses and you can sit reading a book in the corner and having a pint and and just genuine generally feel kind of welcome i don't find it often but I'm right the that's yeah that, we, we that's do exactly have a lot what I'm that looking. are more like the slaughtered lamb yeah yeah i want to i want to find the place that's the sign is x'd out the word the three chimneys because one fell down that's what I want. And now it's the two chimneys. <laughs> That's what I want to find. That used to be one of our favorite uh, D&D things was my buddy would get us back to a pub we had been at, you know, weeks prior. And it's, it's, it wasn't it the three chimneys? Yeah, yeah. Stuff went down, man. It's, it's cool. Oh, we know the landlord, old man Peabody. <laughs> so, um, so something that I, I find interesting, especially with folks that, you know, grew up somewhere different than me, you know, or even a different time period or different land mass. Right. Um, what were things that you both experienced 
at a younger age, you know, prior to university, prior to you meeting, let's say, that um drove you towards you know the things you like today. You know, the the content you enjoy or the movies you like or the art you you aspire to do. You know, what whatever. Well, firstly, you need two things for this one. Uh, one, you need the context of time, which and this yep. is something your brother talks about a lot regarding how for the longest time, basically being a nerd was uh, social suicide. You were effectively mm-hmm. um, looked down upon by everybody who liked the cool stuff and you weren't cool. And talking about comics and superheroes and Star Wars and Star Trek uh, was uh, liable to get you uh, at the very least, um, called horrible names. But um, so, you know, that that was my childhood growing up for the longest time. Like I, I realized, oh, I'm really into this stuff and there aren't many people that I can talk to about it because when once you get to a certain age in your teens, they no longer want to talk about what they consider to be baby shit. So there was that. But you also had to factor in England, where we don't like being unseemly about anything. We like you. You try to describe cosplay to somebody in England in the nineties, they'd say, "Why? Why would you do this? Why would you purposefully embarrass yourself?" Mm. And mm-hmm. that's what fancy dress is in the UK. Yeah. It's a thing you like, do to to make people laugh. So we don't understand. Are you going to a party? Mm. And if so, you know, like, do you understand you're not six anymore? And um, it, th- there's a there's a lot of uh, not wanting to be embarrassed about British culture, even still now, relative to American Enthusiasm culture. Enthusiasm is often frowned on. Yeah. So I, I think the, the thing that made me very specifically nerdy was being into Star Wars after Star Wars was in. So uh, I was born in 1980 when The Empire Strikes Back came out. I didn't even understand what a Star War was until... After it, the years after Return of the Jedi, when the figures were becoming, you know, were dropping down to 99p, two for 99p, a whole bag of unwrapped figures for 99p. Just take them off our shelves, please. We don't want these Kenner Star Wars toys. And, um, and I'm, yeah, I was at a tender age when I really wanted to get the, the, the Kenner Star Wars toys, but didn't have the money for it. And then by the time I did have the money for it, they were gone. So I kind of fell into that like sort of late Gen X trap of, of being kind of fixated on action figures. And I'm still, I'm looking right now at a whole bunch of star Wars vintage action figures that I uh, acquired over the years since and transformers and, um, Marvel and uh, Ninja Turtles, and I'm look. I'm holding a trap jaw from the He-Man Origins line, which, by the way, well done. I really like these; they're fun. Oh yeah, <laughs> but um, but so, so yeah, it was it was it was action figures and comic books, and then I started like watching movies and taping them off the TV, and just realized I really like the '80s sci-fi stuff. So like, um. Inner Space and Gremlins, and then um, managed to get hold of uh, sort of slightly uh, uh, more adult fare like Aliens and Terminator and Robocop. And as I entered my uh, teens, I decided not only did I just love movies, I wanted to be something to do with writing them or directing them. And um, I think I, by the time I met Sharon at age of 19, I, I, I definitely wanted to be in the film industry and, and actually do something with that. So... I think my nerddom manifested itself in being able to comfortably like something that much when no one else cared that much, which like in double relief considering where I was and when I was. Whereas now you can love Marvel and it's like, well, yeah, everyone loves Marvel. Why would you not? 
and Shem. Right. For me, I think my earliest influences, I would say, were and this is going to sound a bit weird, just mythology generally. I, at a very, very early age, I got well into Norse mythology, Egyptian mythology, Greek and Roman, Celtic, anything I could get my hands on. So reading at the library. Mythological, yeah. Well, the... the okay. I, I learned to read really, really early. Um, I was about probably about three by the time I could read oh, fairly wow. Um, because when I was small, um, I, I used to climb the walls and I do mean that quite literally. And my mum had to give me something that would keep me occupied in a way that wasn't going to damage stuff, including me. Um, so she taught me to read (laughs) and, um, and then I would read anything I could get my hands on. I would, at four years old, I would sit and read medical encyclopedias just because I liked the fact that it had lots of long words in it. Mm. Um, and when I finally went to school, they didn't like the fact that I could already read, um, because it meant that the books they had available for my, uh, year group, I could, I would just look at them and go, what's the point of that then? Um, so they had to send me off to the big kids library to get things that would actually keep me engaged. And they had a lot of, um, fairy tales and and mythology and that kind of thing in there. So I, I kind of got well into that. Um, so that was like my first kickoff. And then in terms of sort of more TV based media, and this is bearing in mind that this is the early eighties in Britain and all we had was a black and white TV. We didn't get a color TV until 1987. Excellent. So um, the first things that I completely fell in love with were the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon and uh, the Ulysses 31 cartoon. And they were the things that I would get up very, very early to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too, on those exact same two. Yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't until years later that when I I finally saw them on DVD that I was like, oh my God, that's what colour that was? Because I only saw them in black. (laughs) Seriously? Seriously. I always thought Sheila wore red. Oh my goodness. Um, And I I think there was something else as well that was, I can't remember what it was. Pole position, where they drive two grey cars around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pole (laughs) position was was another one. Um, So I I really liked those um, sort of 80s style cartoons that were a little bit more serious and a little bit more melancholy than your standard um, toy selling type fare. Then as I got a little bit older... Um, the ones that have really stuck with me right through into adulthood, I would say anything with Muppets in it. So Return of the yeah. Jedi, The Dark Crystal, Willow, anything Jim Henson, Henson had anything company, to do yeah. with. Uh, actually, Henson didn't work on uh, Return of the Jedi, but they definitely were using mm. Muppety techniques. Yeah, absolutely. And Frank Oz was there, so he might as well have been. Hmm. <laughs> um, and then when I was in my early teens, I got into comics, um, particularly Marvel comics and particularly the X-Men. And this, where I was living at the time, it was not easy to get, um, you certainly couldn't get American comics in the, the range that was available around that time. So this would have been uh, early 90s. 
we didn't have like proper comic shops. We had um, news agents who would could order stuff in for you, but for the most part, I would pick up what I could in thrift shops and car boot sales and things like that. There were comic shops in London and Brighton. Yeah. So like occasionally when I'd go in there, um, I'd be like, oh my God, like this is where I want to spend all day. Mm. And I'd be with a parent who'd be like, we are spending five minutes in here, young man. I was like, everything else that we're doing today is nowhere near as interesting as being here. <laughs> yeah, when I was like 14 and I was old enough to be allowed to go into York on my own on a Saturday, mm. it was like, I have to go to Travelling Man and spend half the day here. Mm. I did um, the same in Croydon yeah. when I was uh, about that age. Absolutely. Just um, spend the time wandering around. The t- I also used to go to the cinema on my... I, I, when, I, when I was about 16, I realised, oh, hey, I actually don't need to have another person with me when I go to the cinema. So I just go, and I could feasibly go to the Warner Village in, in Pearly Way, Croydon, and spend most of the day there avoiding my father and um, and just watching three films back-to-back, regardless of their quality. See, the, the town I grew up in, after we, we you know, I said we stayed in one place for a mm-hmm. while, this was a, a, a little village in North Yorkshire, and we had a single-screen cinema, uh, which is one of the oldest still running cinemas in that part of the world. Um, and it, they showed every week they would have a different movie. And they the would Melies Brothers over and over. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> it, there, would be a, there would be a showing at 7.30 every day of the week. And then uh, if you were lucky, you got a matinee on Saturday and that was it. There were no, like, once you'd seen that movie, there was no point going back again. Sorry, the Lumiere brothers and George <laughs> Melies. I did actually pay attention during film studies. What was the first film you remember ever seeing uh, at the cinema? At the cinema. Um, I can never quite remember, but it was either Santa Claus the movie or yes! uh, the Care Bears movie. The Care Bears. Yes. Which, actually, at the time, that kicked the ass of uh, the Black Cauldron. That yes, actually that's right. Well, my, my mum hated... Um, going to the cinema because she had to sit still for an hour and a half. Um, Should have hated so the, the Black Cauldron. It had a pig in distress. The, oh, God, yeah. Uh, so the only time I ever got to go to the cinema was when my grandparents decided to take right. me. And, and uh, at that age, they would only take us to see, like, proper kids' movies. Right. I saw Ghostbusters, and I must have been oh. not quite four. It was... It was 1984, but it came out really late in the UK. So maybe it was just after my fourth birthday. Mm. So, uh, and I like, I'd, I'd seen movies on the little tiny TV at home, little 12 inch, little tiny. Did it have color though? It had color. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then, like, imagine the first thing you see in the cinema, the first few minutes of your being at the cinema is the goddamn library ghost. Yeah. And there was like, that's like. <laughs> And I, I shit my pants and loved it. I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. And just everything else about Ghostbusters just gripped me. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, we, we worry too much about scaring kids. I think if, if they see stuff that's scary early enough, they'll they'll grab hold of it. And I now write scary novels. So uh, it's... It depends. I think with kids, it depends how much control they've got over it. If, yeah. they're, if they're exposed to something that's too terrifying... Yeah, we show them the goddamn Shining. Well, no. That's what I mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, then you're not my dad. My dad showed me The Shining when I was, like, six. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, yeah no, that was I wrong. Think... That was a terrible, yeah. terrible mistake. While we were, uh, our our kid was talking about um, uh, Schwarzenegger in class, and someone said, "Get to the chopper!" And uh, Willow said, "Ah, that's from Predator." And 
her teacher her teacher said you shouldn't have seen predator before and willow kind of zipped her mouth and didn't say i saw predator when i was six and i was like yeah but i fast forwarded over the bit where blaine's chest exploded over the bit with the uh the skull being ripped out with the spinal cord still intact and um a lot of the other stuff in predator that the blood and stuff but the I remember seeing that on my black and white TV upstairs, like rocking and rolling on the volume control, just like, oh, no, this is a loud bit my parents will hear, and then down a bit, and then I need to be able to hear when they're saying, over here, turn around. So I turn it up, and then, bing, Alan Silvestri's (laughs) score comes in again. (laughs) I watched a lot of vampire movies and anime that way. Yeah. Yes. Debut man. Yes, definitely. I I always, yes. I always liked revisiting movies that my parents would show me when I was too young and then realizing the bits they fast forwarded over. Like ah. I, I didn't know what was going on in that room with the with the dead lady in it in the shining till I was like thirteen. Like that that was where my dad drew the line, you know. I can I can see all the violence, but not that scene. Um and then and, uh, yeah, uh, when I was when I was in my mid teens I got into uh, Terry Pratchett as well. And that's ah, yes. Really carried on through my adult life yeah that's awesome it's so cool right because we're all we all have such um informed and mutual um enthusiastic conversations about stuff but everybody comes at it from a kind of a different place but there's a lot of overlay like right like i watched those cartoons too Mm -hmm. i was a little 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 younger only by four years but you know i watched those cartoons too and i uh i remember my first movie that i remember going to was roger rabbit oh but, nice i, but I had I... seen i had seen the 86 re-release of snow white with my mom but i was yeah. two you know <laughs> so i don't i don't count that one but i remember roger rabbit because i remember judge doom keeping me up for a week um, we, uh, my father was too cheap to rent Back to the Future Part Two, um, but somehow was was got a fit of generosity and took us to see Back to the Future Part Three. So I had to pick up everything that happened in Back to the Future Two, which, if you recall, was shouted incredibly fast in the opening ten minutes. <laughs> yep. And uh, I still absolutely loved it. I, I love Back. I think I may love Back to the Future Three more than most people because uh, it was the first Back to the Future film I saw in the cinema, and uh, it's it, it gets a bum deal. Uh, in fact, so does two as well. I mean, just just because one is perfect does not mean these two almost perfect films. And I never say perfect about anything. Uh, are uh, actually per- um, there's some issues with Back to the Future One. Um, I do wonder about going back to that, thinking about it, the uh, the whole... I, I saw a very compelling argument that was like, so, and this is from a, a nerd of colour, so what this movie is positing is, Mayor Goldie Wilson ran Hill Valley into the ground, while Red oh. Thomas, during his mayorship, it was thriving. And it's like, it's kind of more the difference between the 50s and the 80s, but... That's a reading. I can definitely see that. And the whole Marvin Barry thing. Uh, oh, crap. Yeah, how um, the, uh, the the black man stole rock and roll music from the white man, actually. Oh, good, good. That's a good message to put across. Thanks. Cheers for that. But I still oh, think... no. <laughs> but I still think that Back to the Future 1 is nearly perfect, aside from those problematic bits. <laughs> aside from all the drink, drugs, and incest. Yeah. And comparatively, well, uh, yeah. two and three have less problematic stuff going That's on. That's true, yes. I do like how in Back to the Future 3, and I even called this when I was young and saw it, how he does not go back in time to the 
historical old west he mm-hmm. goes to the hollywood old west yeah and i love that they doubled down on that like it, he literally goes to a john Monument wayne Valley. movie set yeah. and it's so wonderful <laughs> It's sort of John Ford by way of Sergei Leone. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's like Frontierland. Producer yeah. shot here, Ted. I love Back to the Future Three so much because it's just so silly and over the top, and I love it. And they they own it, right? They're so confident mm. in what they're making, and I love that about that movie. Mm. Um, so that that's really fascinating. So that that brings you know puts us on an even playing field we know where all of us are coming from in the pre-internet age as bob said time and place is very important right we you know i i could talk to somebody five years younger than me and get a completely different read right you know um alex saying i'd go to the cinema and watch whatever was on regardless of quality that was our upbringing right you know you didn't have anything on demand that you could just go huh well i heard that movie sucked so i'm just not gonna watch it it's like no this is what cultivated the mystery science theater generation of people that are enthusiastic about films and aren't even all that great is because you know what you put on the TV at, you know, four in the afternoon and this is what was on, you know, That's, and I didn't have a choice. Yeah. We, we didn't have the, the range of choice that's available these days. It was you, you get enthusiastic about what's in front of you. Well, I could have just bought VHS cassettes in that era and just gone home and watched them. But that would have meant watching them at home when my father was there. I was trying to avoid being in the house. Mm. But I was also reading a lot of Empire magazine and Total Film and just the the difference, but like the actual reviewing side of things. I was sort of getting into why a film is bad, why a film is good. And it just it felt like watching a lot of films at the cinema would help get yeah. my head around yeah. that. I, I was effectively training. Yeah. See, when I, I got to sort of the age where I was old enough to go to the local video shop and um, and rent stuff for myself and, mm. and actually choose what I wanted to watch as opposed to just watching whatever dad got out, uh, I would go through phases of, right, let's watch everything that I can find with Keanu Reeves in it. Let's watch everything I can find with Christian Slater in it. Chain reaction, <laughs> bed of roses. <laughs> So speaking speaking of just the going to the cinema, uh, this is when I was hanging around with my friends, uh, Tony Atkins and Paul Shotton a lot in real life when we were done with um, school or college um, at uh, like roughly where I lived in, in, in Surrey. We would hang out on the evenings and talk about what we'd seen at the cinema a lot of times would go together. I think there was a late night screening of the postman. Do you remember the Kevin Costner film? Oh yeah. Um, it's it's incredibly long. It's incredibly dull. It's about an America that's been ravaged by something or other, and then um, the uh, that's like this guy makes up a, a great big lie about uh, how America's government are reforming and are trying to get everyone back together by communication. I bank that shit for later. But um, the the actual screening of it, I recall, like one of it was one of my favorite moments of cinema because it was so cheesy and so like. What would be the word? Like, it didn't know how bad it was. Uh, right. So it was oblivious to its own uh, um, crapulence. But there was this bit when he, like, a little kid ran out with a letter. I think it was Jake Lloyd. And he holds it up, and the postman just sort of gallops on by. And then the kid's like, nah. And then the the postman on a horseback stops and turns. And the, the sequence took forever 
And I remember just sort of sitting there with Paul and Tony in the dark, just sort of like twirling our fingers in a kind of a come on where like we were all doing it eventually. And it was like the scene's still going on. And then the postman was galloping towards the kid and the kid had the letter outstretched. And all three of us slowly reached out in the darkness sort of to grab the letter. And then when the letter was grabbed, we all cackled with glee. And someone in front of us quite rightly said, it's not funny. <laughs> we were like, it's a bit funny. We're sorry. We really hated like ruining movies for people. But that was still one of my favorite moments in, in cinema. But that's how my first podcast started. It was Digital Cowboys. It was basically after spending years living miles apart from each other, um, me Paul and Tony all decided to sort of start a podcast up just to chat about the movies we'd seen, the games we'd played, and just kind of to recapture those evenings that we'd spent hanging out together in our teens, now in our late 20s. And that ultimately led to Digital Gonzo, which led to Digital Drift, which is when I bought Sharon in, which led to School of Movies, which was the first show which actually sounded like what it actually is, which is a <laughs> sort of movie investigation as opposed to all of these weird combinations of digital and another word. But, um, but yeah, effectively, you can trace a, a, a sort of a higgledy-piggledy line from those that going to see movies in a big block of an afternoon in my late teens and where we are now. Right. And, and I was going to say, you know, for, for both of you, you know, Alex, I know that your digital books, you know, your audio books that you do, you write them first, right? Of course. I do um, now. And yeah. I, so I started now. doing it one episode at a time and sort of like releasing them week to weeks between 2015 and 2016. Mm. And, and it, then we'd convert the scripts. And we'd convert the, the scripts into novels at the end of that. But that eventually oh. got really problematic mm. because um, I was having to contact more and more people to be in them and everyone's schedules were sort of interrupted and sometimes I couldn't get everyone at the same time. And also I was finding, I was like, oh shit, I've got to go back and, and lay down the groundwork for this bit that I'm doing now in an earlier episode that people won't have listened to. Oh, bloody hell. And it just, it became more, it made yeah, more sense to do yeah. the books first. So then that a, a bit of a, of a, you brought us into the future, a bit of a tiny stepping stone backward for a minute for both of you. <laughs> were, were you creating things like, was there an artistic output or, you know, anything prior to, the podcasting audiobook internet age because you just you answered one of my questions you the novels were a recent thing that's in mm -hmm. like the last six years right 2013 and, till now yeah okay so you know was there a were you creating before that or you know with me for instance podcasting is something i never thought i would i would do right mm -hmm. i i started listening to a few my buddy tim from cinema inspection invited me on his and i caught the bug okay. and it and it exists because my brother wanted me to do one with him. And then I found it. I love it. Right. It's what really ended up happening. But what drove you towards what you do now? Um, remember when I said I wanted to be a, a screenwriter back yeah. in my late teens, I wrote a couple of scripts for films and then I started uh, writing a novel for, uh, I wanted to write a three part trilogy inspired by Lord of the Rings and The Matrix and Star Wars. And I wanted to turn those into screenplays and then sell those as films. And I was deluded and it was the early, early 21st century. And like, you know, the sky was the limit. And um, what I ended up doing was just rewriting and rewriting this first book over and over again. And in the end, I kept changing the world. And the version that I wrote of that book way back in like 2001 to 2006 
was very beholden to my influences. Like it was so obvious which bits were just, well, that's straight out of Final Fantasy. And also you haven't added that much to it. Right. Um, and then honestly, like 2013 came around and I was like, right, I'm just going to write a glossary here that just sort of explains the world. I made an in-world artifact, the cartographer's handbook, that was just, um, th this explains what the world is from the point of view of a survival guide. Once I publish this, because by this point, being able to publish stuff on Kindle was actually straight up possible because all the way up until then, it wasn't. I would totally have released a bunch of not very good books throughout the uh, 2000s if I had the means to. But back in the day, I was trying to do it the old-fashioned way, which is you uh, contact a literary agent, you get them to read the first few chapters of your book and your synopses, and if they like it, they talk to a publisher, and the publisher then you, and you and the literary agent talk about publishing the book. But it's completely different being independently published. Ultimately, I'm beholden to no one, and I get to... I honestly don't, I'm on my 13th book now. I would be nowhere near that if I had just tried to do it the old way. Um, so so really all I was doing for those te first 10 years, first 13 years, Chris, is practicing and being bad at it until <laughs> I finally nailed it to the master in 2013. And then from that point, from like 2015, 16, 17, wrote 12 more books, which have gotten increasingly better structured and the fact that we've been doing so many years of talking about movies and stories and what works about them and what fell flat and studio interference it always feels like okay so so you had a solid storyline here and then they said we don't want wolverine to have anything to do with ptsd you don't want wolverine to have ptsd okay it's a movie i mean you're the studio and then they made X-Men Origins Wolverine. And then when they finally kind of like backed off and stopped trying to make James Mangold make an X-Men film, because I think the first one was um, the other guy. Uh, I forget his name, the director of Tsotsi. But um, like when they finally let him make Logan, it was the pinnacle of what the X-Men movies could be. And then the X-Men movies were done. So it's, it's like, I feel like if I had ever really gotten into Hollywood... I probably would have gone insane from the studio meddling almost immediately. Um, like you, you, you hear stories about um, uh, creators who just can't keep going within the, the system. They just kind of break down. I would have been one of those people. I feel like being able to do this independently has actually kept me creatively active and able to just keep doing this. But also the actual collaboration with my actors and the, the, the voice actors that I create the audiobooks for, like it's a, it's, it's a cast that began as six and then seven, eight, nine, we're up to 10 at the moment, uh, including Sharon and I. Um, but the actual being able to, to kind of bounce their characters off them and, and say, like, you're going to be playing this character coming up and, and to be able to shape them, the, these characters with them has, has really, because what I was chasing was the the making of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Do you remember seeing the appendices on that? Oh, yeah. That sense of building something together. And I've kind of not really wanted to stop doing that. I'm doing this partly as therapy. But, yeah. Uh, but oh, yeah. it's just it's so fantastic being able to connect with them. And the the artists who are able to sort of draw these characters and bring them out of my head 
and out of their mouths and into paint and ink and it just it's amazing just seeing them finally there and then when the episodes are all together being able to hear these worlds actually sound really evocative and draw you in it's it's just been so uh, life affirming it's probably the best way of putting it no you you hit a really incredible point that i i like thinking of the things i do if it can feel like that, if it can feel like watching the making of, because again, those appendices that Lord of the Rings stuff didn't feel like somebody was marketing. It felt yeah. like somebody was being honest. And, you know, I see things in more recent stuff that are cultivated to feel like that. And sure, it, it gets me excited just because I like seeing behind the scenes stuff. But the way we're able to interact, I mean, just a couple of voices, quick little like sentences and paragraphs you've had me do. Hmm. I felt so damn included. In something in something that I, you know, before you asked me would have had no thought that I needed to be included in that, mm. you know, and, and that that's not what work usually feels like, you know, with the, the way we like to say work, right? It's mm. what collaboration feels like. And that that to me is it, why why do anything in life if it doesn't feel that way, you know? It's an energy cycle for me. Uh, it, you'd imagine that writing for ages would drain me of energy, but if I write something that I'm proud of, it actually gives me energy. And if I work with people who really get it, I get energy from them, and hopefully they get energy from me, and we kind of, like, it's a dynamo. It, it, it yeah. goes round and round and creates. It's like a couple of months ago, I said, right, let's let's just completely do nothing this weekend. I'm not going to touch the computer and um, we're just going to like, we'll just chill out, watch movies or something. I was so bored. Just just not being able to work on anything. I was like, oh, what am I doing? There's so many hours left in the day. But I then as soon that. as I get to the keyboard, they just go, and it's like, oh, God, I'm so knackered. My head aches, but I feel like I've done something. Oh, you're hitting the nail on the head. Anytime I record something like this or anytime I'm on someone's show, and that's why I love doing them on like a lunch break at work, I come out of it. And I'm, I'm, I want to be better at what I'm about to go do. It's, it's, it's an energy. I wanted to ask Sharon the same question. Yeah, um, you know, what, what, what got you from, you know, I'm, I'm interested and enthusiastic about stuff into being on a podcast or whatever you've created. If you wrote or created before the things that I know about, like what, what was your story? How'd you get here? Well, the flippant answer is he's sitting next to me. Um, <laughs> Excellent. No, no, that, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> the, uh, the the slightly more lengthy version of that is, um, like I said, I learned to read at a, a ridiculously young age, and I got my first typewriter when I was about three and a half and started writing around about the same time. So She's my editor, um, by the way. My, my books would just be a litany of commas in the wrong place without her. <laughs> Um, I want to hear more about your other characters. No, I'm really interested in this one. You should, you know, <laughs> insert some. That, that, that's me writing too. My wife yeah. does that for me. So, um, yeah, so I've been writing uh, like short stories, plays and poetry um, for, from sort of a very young age. And early on, I wanted to be either, I knew I wanted to be either a doctor, a writer or a politician. Ugh. And then I discovered psychology. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it's like, this is a collectible three, hurrah. 
Um, so but I, you'd have been the good kind of politician, the kind that's currently struggling right now. Well, yeah, I would have been like kind the, of a conscience, what? the kind that want, is, is in politics because they want to help people rather than because they want power. Yeah. The kind that other politicians would stare at you and go, I don't understand. I don't get it. Yeah. So, so <laughs> how, so what are you embezzling? So you don't um, want money. <laughs> that doesn't make any no. sense. Um, you know, be there for her. So I, um, I, I studied uh, English literature and theatre and and um, drama and, and stuff of that nature while I was in high school and and at college. And between the ages of about fourteen and eighteen, I got heavily into school theatre. So my the the high school that I went to had a huge um, musical theatre department and so I participated in a lot of uh, productions and that really helped me get past my utter inability to relate to people and and sustain friendships which kind of came from the whole moving around a lot thing as a kid I was very good at making acquaintances I was terrible at making friends and I was particularly terrible at keeping friends and um being on stage even though most of the the performing that I did was kind of just part of the the crowd and I, I didn't get speaking lines all that much but there was a lot of camaraderie with the people who were involved and there's a lot of like musical stuff going on which chills you out and makes you feel a little bit more comfortable around people or it did for me anyway so as I got older I started to find that my nerdier interests helped me connect with people and when the internet came along which was sort of the years I was at university that kind of snowballed into the online networking that we've all come to know and love um and then Eventually, and, and then obviously I met Alex at the tail end of, of university and we just bounced off each other in terms of our ideas and our interests and the things that we wanted to talk about. And it, it just kind of became the thing that we did. It was just mm. such a, um, a a central thing to our relationship. One, one of the first films we ever saw together in the cinema was Pitch Black, and we came out basically oh. doing a live episode of School of Movies, yeah. just talking about colour theory and what they were like, because it changes throughout the movie, and we still not covered Pitch Black, yeah. possibly because that one was so... <laughs> it was, it's like, we'll never remember what we said on that night 20 <laughs> years ago, so it's just not worth it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that what I eventually came to realise about myself was that one while I, I enjoyed writing, and I do still sometimes write for for kind of for fun, particularly poetry. Uh, and what you occasionally I really... get some publications. I've, put yeah, your I've work done out. A, I've done a couple of pieces for. I wish uh, you'd pursue like, that more. You're really good um, at it. Websites and stuff. Oh. Thank you. Well, maybe I will. <laughs> it's it's more of a time thing for yeah, me. I think. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. So the, the, what I came Fewer to kind bars, of more essays. No, it doesn't work that way. Bards are to Sharon what. Coming up with a really good chapter is for me revitalizing. Uh, yeah, I kind of. Yeah, um, <laughs> I have to have them one a week, or I go mad. At least, um, at least one a week. Yeah, yeah. keep going. Um, but yeah, the where was I? Yeah, <laughs> so I, I kind of came to realize that although I did really enjoy writing, creatively reading is actually what I really get into. So not just reading literature or, or um, you know, reading text, but reading movies, reading the visuals, reading mm. the music, reading people, reading conversations and, um, and absorbing what's going on and 
analyzing and reinterpreting it and then kind of creatively putting it back out movies with their two hour running times ish uh, tend to be perfect for a show for us because like because they're so they're required to be self-contained mm. it's not like if it was a, a whole first season of a tv show you've got a dozen hours to talk about to pack into a two-hour show, and there's so much filler there. If it's a video game that takes 20 hours, so much of that is going to be the mechanics of, of, of the combat or whatever else you're doing to jump around the, the game. Um, but movies, you kind of, like, every minute that goes by, you'll have something to talk about. Mm -hmm. So the podcast will often end up being about the same length as the movie. Yeah. yeah. Bingo. Um, and then, so more recently, I, uh, I trained as a qualified counsellor and although I work full time in a, a, something that's nothing to do with psychology, um, I do have a little online private practice and I am currently taking a certificate in cinema therapy hmm. um, because and, and that kind of that that supports the kind of, of therapy that I like to do, because I think what you already engage with in terms of stories whether that be books or film or or whatever or video games or, or whatever that is it can really support personal processes of healing of self-awareness and communication and i i have always tried to bring all of that to the movie analysis that we do with school of movies mm. in, a, in a sort of a, a broader sense rather than it being specifically about individuals wow <laughs> Man, I mean, definitely know with you two, ask questions, get profound answers. Definitely, <laughs> it, but I, I, re I really appreciate that. It, it, I this is I love getting to know people. I, I hope I hope this is good for you guys too because I'm really enjoying it. Oh um, yeah. I, I I don't want to uh, I don't want to rush us to the end, but I'll I'm gonna drive us back towards um, the Fireside Alliance because that mm -hmm. that's why you guys came on. Absolutely. And I have I have a couple bits on here, but I'll I'll group them all into the same thing. You know, we've we've had quite a year. Um, you know, and, and as Alex said, we had a lot of downtime to think about how we'd want to connect people. Um, and that's part of the main reason why we're doing this. Right. But to, to each of you, you know, I feel like this year and particularly the world since 2016, I know we've had bad people and bad things in the world a lot longer than that, but the, the kind of popular culture infused with the negativity of, politics and everything else really really hit an accelerated head in 2016 so why now and 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 why are we different like what do you really think well why is this important what we're trying to do here um it's reactive to a degree isn't it it's uh we've been able to see what unmoderated internet looks like for 20 years and it feels like you know if someone's kind of there's someone there just to make sure that we die i don't know why um like chat rooms and message boards and forums just sort of dropped off and twitter and facebook and uh oh, what are the other ones the other Instagram. ones that I don't go anywhere near, Instagram. Like, we, we know what the addictive qualities are. We know what the negative qualities are to these platforms. And yet we indulge ourselves anyway. It's, I, 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 was, I have been in my time addicted 
to Twitter. Like I yep. could not stop. Like I would sit down and just immediately press that app button, just immediately. And then just as time went on and it became more and more horrible, not because of fights or anyone who I'm following who gets into a, a set two with me, just because the people that I tend to follow have good hearts and are righteously indignant about injustices. And they're like, look at this terrible thing that happened halfway across the world. And then someone else will also say that. And someone else will also say that. And it's like, that's the thing that we're upset about today. And I completely understand that, but you drown in it. You drown and your energy gets drained. And when I say my friends on Twitter, just tweeting misery and injustice and wanting to be away from it, I don't mean I don't want to see the horrible things that go on in the world, I'm overloaded with them. I feel them too much. And on Twitter, they're mixed in with, hey, look at this cute cat, and here's this new hot take on a movie you like. They think it's shit. And here's this hot take on a movie you don't like. They think it's awesome. And oh, look, more injustice and horrible thing. And look at what this terrible woman who hates vaccines is doing in Texas. And look at what Florida just did. Ah, But look, there's a hamster on a go-kart. It's too much on Twitter. It is just everybody screaming into the void all at once. It's overwhelming. And I got overwhelmed. And when McDonald Trump was tweeting every day, it was... I couldn't avoid him. I couldn't avoid the terrible, stupid things he was saying and doing. So I retreated to Discord. And immediately felt more relaxed when I did. I didn't cut myself off from the world and the people that matter and the things that matter. But I did put on armor so that it wouldn't kill me. And so I started the Discord a couple of years ago, I think just to get away from... Because it was a what's-he-going-to-say-today situation wasn't it? It was just oh, every yeah. single day. He'd just he'd come on and he'd say something awful and you'd be like, is that going to incite race violence? Is that, are people going to die because of what he just said? Yeah, yeah, probably, probably. And I, I think, and, and thing- I think it's, I think it's the way it affects things on every level of your life. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the hard part about someone like that, because we've gone through times where it, okay, yeah, there's horrible things and they're saying horrible things, but it doesn't come into your home. Mm -hmm. And I know that that might sound selfish. I don't mean it to sound that way, but I mean, like, you can't get away from it, Mm -hmm. right? Like, because everything has been brought into this black and white, right or wrong on everything, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd go to family dinner after someone says something awful, that that particular person, and it becomes people's entire motivation Mm -hmm. and way they carry themselves to either be 100% behind it or 100% against it. I I was getting sick of leaving Twitter and going to like dinner with family and have them be, so how about those people kneeling at the football games, huh? And -hmm. it's like, I don't want to talk about this right now because we have a completely different view on it and we're just going to argue. There's yeah. nothing good that's going to come from the conversation, you know, because you don't want to learn. 
We saw a Chris Rock routine uh, from a long time ago. Uh, Two thousand. It was pre the the we did kill the messenger. It was when Obama was yes. doing his campaign trail. So it was the one before that, like two thousand five ish. It was um, never scared, and he was talking about the Iraq War and how. Um, it uh, uh, like no, no one's going to say anything against the troops, but uh, it, it ignited a fierce patriotism that turned into sort of a very kind of like ugly, like I don't want anything to do with France. Because if you remember back in the early yeah. the, the 2000s, oh, oh, like, yeah. fuck France and fuck French fries. Oh, freedom oh, fries. We had, we had freedom fries. They're still on the menu yeah. at a lot of awful places here. And uh, but he was talking about how that you know, then sort of segued into uh, um, uh, hatred of, of Muslim people, and then eventually he's like, and then because you know that black people and Jewish people are next, and we're like, oh god, Chris, you're fucking Cassandra at this point. Yep. <laughs> now a lot of the rest of that act was just this depressing kind of you know um, thing talking about because well, marriage is terrible. But that particular middle section when he was talking about inequality in in America and the um, the the, the the ugliness what he boiled it down to is no one person is one thing and at the time yes. it felt like a truism he said you know uh, um uh, he said on crime i'm conservative on prostitution i'm liberal and it was like well you're kind of conservative as well on prostitution because he was not exactly pro-sex worker but we are a very pro-sex worker podcast mm -hmm. um, but like the point he was trying to make was that like listen to what is being said before making up your mind rather right. than making up your mind that you are in this club and whatever this club says goes and i feel like um the the extremity of that uh, that has been exacerbated over over the past at least 6 7 years um has led to this kind of exhaustive tribalism and the thing about discord that i really enjoyed was just being able to go right this thread is for politics and if you don't want to hear about politics just mute that thread or don't go near it and that's cool and then when covid came along it was like if we let this go get everywhere it will infect every single thread so let's make a coronavirus thread. And that way, everything that's to do with COVID is effectively quarantined here. And see, what I was effectively doing was kind of turning my own Twitter feed <laughs> into something. With subheadings. <laughs> with, with subheadings. And it was effectively kind of organizing the well, stuff that's going on in the world. It's like a group organized message board where it's like, okay, I, I want to talk about this specific thing with yeah. these people that I'm comfortable talking it about with. And there you go. Here it is right here. <laughs> and I've just been so impressed with how everyone, and it's, it's a, it's a relatively smallish vocal uh, percentage of our community, but they have been really, really good at sticking to these like individual spaces to talk about movies and TV and writing and, and games and stuff. And um, they've, they've all been supportive. I've not, I've, I've not seen a single person be abusive and shitty to someone else. They've occasionally gone, Hey, calm down or something. Cause someone was getting upset, but usually not with each other. Mm. It was just kind of a, I, I'm upset about this. And we have the rant thread, which I've got to talk about here just for a few moments. I came up with this 
years ago when we were doing the original um, forum. And the, the concept is simply, when you go on Twitter and you say, oh, God, someone just pranged me in the back of a, uh, of a car. I've lost a taillight. Then they drove away. We, didn't be, we weren't able to swap insurance details. This is coming out of my premium. Fuck. Um, sorry, I don't know if we could say the F word. In your, your yes, thing. It's called can. shooting the shit. I assume it's called shooting swear. the shit. Fuck ass. You know. <laughs> okay. um, but then someone's like, yeah, but silver lining. Oh, they, you know, they say, but yeah, but um, other things are happening in the world. And this is kind of a first world problem. And that first world problem became a thing that was said a lot. And I thought, oh, yeah. sometimes you just want to be able to say something that's bothering you and not have someone contradict you or try to get you to see the grander perspective to just like the, the being able to unburden yourself of this problem is in itself somewhat therapeutic. And I thought, well, if we leave this, it's just going to be people bitching and it's going to get nasty and vitriolic and shitty. It didn't. It just became like people would, would say, my dog just died. I am so sad. And then people would effectively come and virtually put their arms around them and, and say, oh, um, like, you know, if it helps, you had, they, had, they had a really good owner and they, they could talk about the stuff that was going on. I, like more recently, my uncle is an insane Trumper and he won't hear a word said in defense of Mexican people. And th th it becomes a case of like, I just want to get this off my chest and no one is going to argue with them because that's what this place is. And strangely, while it might seem that a rant thread would be incredibly negative, it's actually been immensely positive. And I feel like it's not the heart of our community, but it's an incredibly important safety valve to stop right. us from just going crazy and flipping. Safe space to outgas. Yeah. You know, um, a friend, a friend of mine put something really interesting. Someone that I know, like I know you folks with never actually having physically met. Right. So mm. written word is a very hard thing to get inflection and body language yeah. out of. It's one of, it's one of the biggest problems with Twitter and other things like that, right? Yeah, if you don't it's really know, easy to misinterpret what someone said and right. they haven't had enough space to give context. But what you're doing there is basically cultivating a group of people to almost it it's embedding that understanding into how it's organized. And this person said to me what I like to say to someone when they come to me with a problem, especially if it's a problem that I disagree with how they reacted to it. Like if you come and say, you know, my mother said this the other day and I told her to go pound sand and walked out of the house and, you know, went and wrote like a nasty thread on Facebook about how terrible she is, you know, and what you'd say to them is, okay, in my head, I disagree with what they did. But what she said that she does is she goes, do you need advice or to be nurtured right now? Yeah. And that's Do you know thing. what I mean? And it's There's really another important, thread right? Called the self-help thread. Is it self-care? Support, Support thread. Where if you actually want some, like if you're like, my computer's broken and I can't fucking make it work. And what do I do? You go to the support thread and people can actually help you. But on the rent thread, people don't just try to play Mr. Fix-It. It's not like um, you, know, you, you, you complain that uh, uh, you're, you're, you, you've broken something and they're like, well, it's pretty easily fixed with da-da-da-da. If it's like something that you cared about, the, the fixing it isn't the, the issue. You probably know you can fix it. It's just, I need to unload this. The other one is the opposite, the gush thread. Because of first world problems and because of so much misery and suffering in the world, we've now come to feel it unseemly, going back to the whole British thing, to 
be happy about anything yep. in our own lives because of, there's so much misery out there. And it's like, I just got Optimus Prime. He's really rad. But then there's people starving in Africa, so I probably shouldn't be happy. And so we allow our guilt to hurt the things, the, the tiny glimmers of joy we might get. But on the gush thread, you can just, without fear of anyone um, chiding you about it, say nice things that happen to you. And I just, I feel like these, these little outlets have been really helpful. I've seen them be helpful for people. Not being alone, not being judged and actually being accepted is precious. And I want to spread that around to people who that, might not be able to have it. I mean, I you, you hit the nail on the head with how I feel. <laughs> what, what about you, Sharon? I, I think the, the simplest way to put it for me is that the last five years have been incredibly dark. Yeah. And Darkest timeline. It has Everyone's become more and more apparent that whatever light is at the end of the tunnels that we have in front of us, we would love to think that somebody is tending those lights, but it doesn't appear that they are. So we have candles. And we, we can have, light candles. We have each other. And now, and now I'm tearing up because, oh, holy crap. <laughs> that was awesome. I mean it. It, it for some reason and leave Mark Wahlberg out of it. I'm picturing um, the lovely bones. You know the light, the light always on in the window. Leave Mark Wahlberg out of it because he makes me angry. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I get uh, what you mean. Oh my goodness! Well, well that um, who on that um, bombshell, folks. Yeah, no, thank you so much for that, Sharon, because that, that's what I was looking for. I, I wanted I want, I wanted a way that we can start putting these things out there and people can get what we're going for and have it cultivate itself in the way that you're already talking about the Discord does, right? These are – it's something that one person can't make be what we want it to be. It's something for everybody to do their part and help keep the candle on, you know? Mm. And the more candles we light, the brighter it will be. Absolutely. I like right. this metaphor. Yeah. There's, I really um, do. It's, it's a slight tangent, but oh, there's dude. a... I was going to say we should call it something vigil, but vigil suggests we're constantly yeah, we're on. Watching this is a fireside, yeah. which is... Uh, the idea is to be able to it's, relax. It's rest. Alex, Sharon, and Chris never get to rest. That's what we're talking constant vigil. We, we yeah. play the, the theme vigil from Mass Effect 24-7. It's very calming. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Tangent, Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry, I was about to say something. Sorry, I was waiting yeah. for you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, uh, in Lincoln, where we live now, there's a, uh, a sort of reasonably sized Polish community. And uh, every Christmas, they have, uh, there's a, a, a thing that they do where you light a candle and put it in your window. Oh. And there's a, a an area of the town where there's a, a high concentration of uh, families who do this every year. And last year, obviously, because of uh, pandemics and lockdowns, there was not much that people could do in terms of getting together. So this having candles in the windows that people could see as they walked past, just, you know, walking up and down the street became a very um, 
uh, sort of recognised thing that this is what we're doing this year to make everybody feel like these these homes and these lights are still here, even if we can't necessarily be together physically. Those lights show that there are still people behind those walls who are thinking of you and and trying to put light and warmth out into the world. And I just that whole concept means a lot to me. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Me too. That's wonderful. Well, um, I'm going to say that that is a perfect place to wrap. And I wanted to give you both the opportunity, even though people coming here now know who you are and who I am to tell people where they can find you outside uh, of the fireside Alliance. Honestly, I think I'm going to send people towards firesidealliance.com because like, that way you're in debt. you uh, you may very well see something else you also like, but uh, yeah, um, I've re- I've recently spruced up the uh, the website that was previously only home to the New Century Multiverse to incorporate School of Movies as well, and if you go through there, there's some very easy sort of like channels to to get through to the podcast, and there's long lists of every single thing that we've done, which I haven't really like. People don't know about this yet. I've been tending to this for ages. I still haven't put all the links on yet, but. Uh, Basically, like if you ever if you if you think have they done this movie, um, we're back a dinosaur story. Yes, oh, I have. love that episode. And uh, all you have to do is uh, put on your Thanksgiving hat and type in "we're back" in the search bar, and it'll jump straight down to uh, that where the guy gets eaten by crows. And it's a lovely kids story. <laughs> Perfect kids film. It's just it's so not bleak. But yeah, I mean, because people are now sort of asking us, did did you do one on Paddington? And this will at least answer those questions. Like, not only will you find out, no, we haven't done Paddington yet, but we will, uh, and Paddington Two, which is actually perfect. Um, but it'll, you'll be able to find a whole bunch of. I didn't know they'd done Congo. I must listen to Congo, and you should because it's brilliant. <laughs> it, that's the one where the uh, a gorilla needs to drink martinis, or she gets freaked out in the air, and uh, she starts yep. getting... There's only two women in the entire film, and she hates Laura Linney because she's a pot- potential romantic uh, enemy. And it's like, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you white women who get along, for God's sake? Even when one of them's a gorilla? Yes, she's a gorilla, for God's sake! <laughs> <sighs> Anyway, so oh, yeah, that's, uh, it's uh, School of Movies, uh, uh, which will uh, be great for movies, and thenewcenturymultiverse.com. You're going to have to get me on to talk about that in, in more detail, because I, I, I wrote down loads about it just in case I got asked. Oh, and no, it, it is, I'm it so is, sorry. No, don't worry about it, because whenever someone asks me, I go, oh, I don't know, it's a thing, but I can always get this up for when people ask me in the future. But, well, let's uh, just let's just... Right in the chat outside of this, when this is over, let's schedule that. I'd love to talk to you more. It would be great. Thank you so, so much, Chris, for having us on for this one. It was uh, deeply pleasurable to uh, chat with you. Thank you both. And to normalize it more, I, I, you know, it's weird to say it about someone you never met, but I love you both. And I'm so happy to jump into this endeavor with you and, and all of these other awesome, awesome folks that have answered the call for the alliance. I'm looking forward to uh, finding out more about the, our our partners in in on this one and, uh, and interacting with them and seeing because ultimately, like we've been talking about our stuff, but really it comes down to everyone's going to be kind of chipping in on the uh, the moderator front and like there'll be like a designated representative of each podcast, kind of overseeing their parts of the community. So while 
we've gone on and on about the school of movies community it'll just be like in some cases it'll be people who haven't really had discords before now suddenly right. they've got a, a place for their vocal community to go that isn't just twitter and hopefully see how that pans out because it, they might be able to um f get much more hands-on with their, their listeners that way yeah just just hoping Amazing. that it, it all um bears fruit i i hope so too people seem excited about it so um and again, we'll, you know, this is just the first. We'll have um, the other folks involved on to talk about it as well. So thank you, Alex and Sharon, for shooting the shit with Chippa. Thank you for helping me and everyone else create the Fireside Alliance. And we'll talk to everybody soon. Have a good one, guys. You too, Chris. And this is another bit from when we mentioned watching animes when we were younger. Sharon first saw Devilman. I first saw a film called Wicked City, which has a woman who is a spider and eats men's knobs with her toothy parts. Yep, that was my first anime. Good place to start. Thumbs up. <laughs> and then there was Ninja Scroll. Where, forget it.